This morning, we're continuing our sermon series, The Servant King, in the book of Mark, and our scripture passage is Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 34. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade." With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Well, hey, good morning. Uh, You know, uh, it's such a fun Sunday. Honestly, it feels like why even get up and give a sermon, right? I mean, this is just the testimony was so powerful to hear those three share. But um, nonetheless, this is a great text. And not that there's bad text, but have you guys ever seen the... um, the movie National Treasure. It's like the one Nicolas Cage movie that might be okay to see or to admit you've seen. 
Well, if you haven't or you have, you know, there's this, there's, the whole premise is that he's after a treasure. And it kind of begins with that interesting but silly premise that there's a hidden map on the back of the Declaration of Independence. And so, of course, they go and they steal the Declaration of Independence and they bring it back to the house. And I think they get like lemon juice or something. They start to put it on the back of the Declaration of Independence. And then, because they're looking for something hidden, right? And then they take a flame, and all of a sudden, an encrypted code comes through. It's interesting to premise, right, that there's something hidden somewhere, and that all of a sudden it's revealed. Jesus, in Mark 4, what you just heard, in verse 11, says this, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. And that word secret there means this. It means something's hidden. But now it's been unveiled. And Jesus says, these three parables, I'm telling you, this is telling you the secret of the kingdom of God. There's something about it that's hidden, but these parables actually tell you what's unveiled. So what is it? What's the secret? Well, here it is. The kingdom of God the breaking in of God's rescuing, restoring, healing work in the world, it does not come through an army. It does not come through a blitzkrieg. It comes through a seed. A seed. Isn't that interesting? Every parable is about a seed. A seed which, if taken in, produces 30, 60, 100-fold in someone's life. A seed, though small, in the end, actually becomes one of the largest plants in the garden. And Jesus is saying something about this. He's saying two things to us today. He's telling us how you and I can experience the transforming power of the kingdom of God in our lives. How you can experience God's transforming power but he's also telling us, secondly, how actually we can participate in seeing this transforming power actually work and move in this world. So, let me pray, and we'll get in. So, Father, we pray now that your word would do that which it is designed to do, that it would produce in our lives 30, 60, 100-fold. Give us ears to hear, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Well, how do you experience the kingdom of God? You know, here's the key question of the whole text. Are you listening? Are you listening? Have you ever been asked that? My wife asks me that sometimes, right? And sometimes my head is in the game, right? And she'll be talking for a couple minutes, and I'll be like, wait, what'd you say? Um, other times, I'm at home, and I'm physically present, and she's talking to me in the kitchen, but my mind is on what happened at one o'clock that day. And she'll say, did you hear what I said? And, and, I'll, and I'll kind of say, well, sort of, can you repeat the last four minutes? You know, that sort of thing. Um, never happens, right? You guys are all like, no, it never happens. All you kids are like, I'm, really, I'm a really good listener, right? Well, here's what it is. The kingdom of God, if you want to experience its transforming power, breaking into your lives, healing you, restoring you, rescuing you, You've got to listen attentively to it. 
You've got to listen. That's the point. And Jesus says, because there's this man who goes out to sow, and he's sowing seeds. And Jesus unpacks four different responses. So in verse 15, we see the first one. Jesus says this, And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown, and when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. You know, think about this. When you go walking on a hike, and you're on, you're not on the off-beaten path, you're on the normal path, right? You know the ground is hard. It's packed down. And Jesus is saying this. Sometimes the gospel word comes, and it comes to a place where a heart is hard. Uh, there's, there's disinterest in it. It's kind of like this. It's like, of what value does Jesus, a Nazarene carpenter, have anything to say about my life right now? And so the person hears that and just kind of chucks it aside. There are so many other important things to hear. And the seed that could break in and heal and restore and rescue is rejected. And there's an enemy that comes and takes it away. The, the, the second soil is in verses 16 and 17. And here we see Jesus say this, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. You know, some soil in Palestine is, is on top of a thin layer of, of limestone, and so seeds there begin to grow, but then as soon as the scorching sun comes out, it's killed. And it's interesting because in this case, the person hears about this gospel word, this news that brings joy, and they receive it and they have joy. But then trouble comes because of that word. You know, in some corners of our world, it's illegal to take in the gospel word. You'll risk your life to say yes to this. In our context, there is a growing pressure, a growing pressure that is all around you that to say yes to this gospel word would mean that you might and may receive some disdain, some ridicule, maybe from family, maybe from friends, definitely from our cultural moment. And the main issue with this soil is depth. There's a lack of conviction. There's a lack of courage. And so the person who initially held on to the gospel word lets it go. The third soil, in verses 18 and 19, Jesus says, And others are the ones sown among thorns, they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. You know, this is more subtle, and actually it's more dangerous, because it's, 
It's not this obvious tribulation and persecution, but it's slow. It's simply being distracted. It's like carbon monoxide, right? You can't smell it, but if it's there, it's lethal. And the distraction that Jesus talks about is two things, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. And cares of this world, it literally means the anxieties of the age. You might as well just say, what are you anxious about? Just name the list. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And it's not necessarily that it's bad to be anxious, but the anxiety in this moment gets so deep that it makes the word become just simply a word. And it presses it out. You know, one of the things I think about uh, in our technological age, one of the great conduits of this is simply our phone, right? And the average person touches their phone 2,617 times a day looking at it. It's right at the fingertips. There's this endless stream of articles and posts and Twitter feeds and InstaFace and TikTok. And I'm not against technology, but it would be naive to not consider the effect this has upon us. Is there any reason why there's a rise in anxiety and depression among youth since whatever the iPhone began? I mean, there's something going on. But secondly, there's the, the, the deceitfulness of riches, or simply put, ambition. You know, um, Ken Feinberg, he was the one who was called in to decide by himself in 2008 how much CEOs would make that were bailed out. And their, their salaries were slashed by 80%. And one of the fascinating things about it was he shared this about his experience. He said they were not, they didn't care about losing their three cars or their extra house in upstate New York. They protested because they said this, you're telling me I'm only worth this much? This is my self-worth. Life is meaningless. Now, do you see how deceitful wealth is in that situation? Because it's more than just money. It's status. It's the stuff of this world that tells us to build our life on them. The problem is we weren't created to do that. And the other problem is it doesn't last. It fails you. And listen, even as I share that example, most of us were like, I'm not the CEO of JP Morgan, you know? And you heard the statement by Ken Feinberg about what they said, and you thought, how ridiculous, how smug that they would build themselves on that, build their identity on that. But are we all together different? You know, one of the conversations I've had over the years and it's in, a, in a city like Madison, Madison is, for lack of a better term, it, it's a place where very talented, driven people come to gain more skill and more talent and more competence. And one of the things regularly that I hear from people in this city is this, the imposter syndrome. 
It's the dynamic of doubting your skills and your talents because you're afraid that you're going to be exposed as a fraud. And you have a huge fear of not measuring up. And what does that produce? Even more drivenness. Why? Because you're working to prove that you're somebody. Right? You're working to prove that I matter. Now, there's nothing wrong with a degree, right? There's nothing wrong with being competent at your work. But do you see the subtlety of what happens, what our hearts do with these things? The anxieties of the age and the deceitfulness of riches, the ambition, what do they do? They make the word simply a word. And Jesus says, be careful. And there's the fourth soil. The deliberate heart. Look at what, how Jesus describes this one. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. You know, one commentator just noted how this last soil, it's just stay with such elegant simplicity. It's the least described of any of the other soils. It's just simply hear it and take it in. One commentator put it this way, being a fruitful Christian is not complicated. Fruitfulness is not a matter of many spiritual steps or, dif- or of difficult disciplines or of particular techniques. It is a matter of gripping one sole object, the word of God. Jesus, in this parable, he's, he's talking to each of us. He's asking the question, are you listening, right? That's what he's asking you. It's what he's asking me. Because if you want to experience the transforming power of God's life, the rescuing, restoring power of it, it's there. But because it's a seed and it comes to the word, the question is, are you listening? Let me just get practical for a couple moments here. What might that look like? I'll put it this way. One, one aspect is just public worship. There, there are 52 Sundays a year. And the question for each of us, is this a priority in your life? Years ago, there's a pastor, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and oftentimes people would come to him and they would say, would you counsel me? I'm having some issues. And he would say, all right, first... I want you to come for the next six months regularly to worship. Now, why is he doing that? Because he wants them to sit. He wants to put them in a spot where the gospel word can do the gospel work, where the transforming power of the gospel can be worked in their life. And he said, then come see me. But secondly, I'll just say this, private worship. Maybe maybe that sounds odd to some of you. But it really means just developing a a regular rhythm of taking the scriptures in on your own. You know, I'll say this, this takes a lot of time to develop. Um, It's not easy to build in habits. But if it's all about listening, why would we neglect that? And I'll just say this, if, if you're here and you haven't developed that habit, 
Maybe it's talking to someone in your city group or your city group leader or a friend who you've seen that discipline take place. But bring some along, bring someone along with you in that journey. Um, this is not too long ago. I was on the phone with someone, and they'd grown up in the church, and they'd always struggled to develop that particular rhythm. And they were having some deep issues in their life. And they were seeking out a counselor. And the first time they met with the counselor, the counselor said, all right, what I want you to do, here's your homework. I want you to spend 10 minutes every day just in the scriptures. Just 10 minutes. I want you to spend 10 minutes. And here are a couple questions. And we're going to start there. And I talked to them seven weeks after they started. And what was remarkable is that they had been consistent in it. And what was interesting was that there were seeds of hope and life in their lives. And here's the deal. Their circumstances had not changed. But what the Word was doing in their life was producing trust in the midst of drought. There was moments where the depth of their character was changing by that. But let me say one last thing, because this is important. It's just a delight, delighting in the gospel word. You know, remember that CEO that said, you're telling me I'm only worth this much. <clears throat> this is my self-worth. The key to this gospel word, you've, listen, you've got to possess what you possess. Do, do you know what I'm saying when I say that? Like, we say this, but honestly, in Jesus and his kingdom and who he is and what he's done, you literally have everything you need. And that sounds cliche, but here's the old Christian, listen to me. You have to possess what you possess. Imagine with me for a moment if you saw Bill Gates. Do you know Bill Gates, he's so rich, if he drops a $100 bill, it's not worth his time to pick it up. Could you imagine Bill Gates asking you for money? Could I borrow a few bucks? You'd be like, hold on, Bill, I think, can we just look at the top? Like, I know Bezos is ahead of you, but like, I think. And here's the point, Christian, do you realize what we're running after in our life? Our status, our security, our significance, we're asking all these things to give it. And it means this, you don't actually possess what you possess. Do you know what you have in the gospel? We're all at certain spots. But do you know what you possess? There's um, a true story. Francis Schaeffer, a minister at the age of 39, he'd been ministering for 10 years. He had a, he had a season where his faith was completely deconstructing. Crisis of faith. And he had become a Christian from agnosticism. And he's in the middle of this. He goes with his wife to England, and he just has to go back to the question, why did I become a Christian? And he, he wrote this. He said, gradually I saw that the problem was that with all the teaching I received after I was a Christian, I'd heard little about what the Bible says about the meaning of the finished work of Christ for our present lives. And he said, gradually the sun came out, and the sun came, and he began to write poetry again. There's this renewing work of the gospel. 
Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know what he's done? Do you know how that actually affects everything you do? Guess what? We're all in process. But that's that's the kingdom of God. The power of it comes through the gospel word. And it comes to us as we seek to deliberately listen. All right. Lastly, one more thing. How do we participate in the work of the kingdom? Uh, This last two parables are really remarkable. They're really short and simple, but they, they say one thing. You'll see it in a moment here. But look at verses 26 and 27. Jesus says this. He said, The kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. Um, it's this passive, like, sowing. The person throws it out, <clears throat> and whether he sleeps or gets up, it just, it grows. And it's talking about the potency of this little gospel word, the potency of it. So last, a couple weeks ago, I was outside my office, and um, one of the, we co-office with the, with the Vine and, and Eastside as well, and so the, the executive assistant for the Vine was foraging in the flower bed outside of our office, and I was and I couldn't stop. I like was going to my car, but they're like, dude, I'm like, what, what's going on? So the next day, I was like, Jackie, what were you doing in the flower garden? And she points, in her office, there are four pumpkins. I was like, we're growing pumpkins out there? Well, it turns out, last year, one of the youth group events was smashing pumpkins. <laughs> and some seeds fell in there. No one tended them, but they grew. The potency of the seed, it grew. That's what Jesus is saying here. Listen, I know we're in Madison, but, but do you understand the power of the gospel? Do you know that your little gospel sowing is potent? Be, be encouraged. Um, the, the, the last one, is the parable of the mustard seed. Jesus says this in verses 30 to 32. He said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? For what parable shall we use for it? It is like the grain of a mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts on large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So it takes 750 mustard seeds to even equal a gram. And yet it grows to be over, at some points, a height of nine feet. And Jesus says, that's, that's the power of this kingdom. It seems so small. Yet when it grows, it's going gonna, it's gonna to expand. And think about it, this is Jesus in eighty twenty eight. Right now, as we said, do you understand Christianity, this gospel word, there is nothing like it across the world. I've shared these stats before, but... 90% of Muslims still live in the Middle East, Africa, and Southeast Asia. 98% of Hindus live in India. 88% of Buddhists live in East Asia. Do you recognize today Christians? This is unique. 25% live in Europe. 25% live in Central and South America. 22% live in Africa. 15% live in Asia. 12% live in North America, where we are. Do you realize we're the minority? And here's, here's how I want you to be encouraged. Christian, your little gospel living and your little gospel sharing, it may seem small, but this is how the kingdom grows. 
at the end of the 20th century, there was a, uh, a bishop of London in the Anglican Church named Graham Leonard. And they interviewed him after he had finished up his time as bishop. And they asked him the question, what was your greatest achievement as bishop? And, uh, you know, I'm sure they expected him to share something about the impact that the church had had on the city or something he had done across the board. But instead he told a story. He said this, a while back I was receiving new members into the church. And whenever I do that, I always say, tell me your name, a little bit about yourself, and why you want to join the church. And when he came to this one woman, she said this, well, actually, I'm joining the Anglican Church because of you. And Leonard was taken aback because he didn't know her. He couldn't ever remember meeting her. And then she told him the story. She said, many years ago, I was a receptionist at a high-level business. And one day, you came to meet the CEO. And I was a receptionist. And usually what happens is when people come to meet him, they come to me first. And then I take them in. But when you came, the CEO went right to the elevator to greet you. Elevator opens. CEO greets you. And he begins to lead you towards the office. And you said, just hold on. Just wait. And you came over to my desk. And you stopped and you asked me how I was doing and what my name was. And you were sincere. And I thought, that was the first time in this job that someone has ever treated me with dignity and not just as a function, not just as a role. And at the time, I wasn't interested in religion or spirituality, but she said in her mind, if I ever do, I'm going to that man's church. And some events happened years later, and now I've become a Christian. And I'm here today to join the Anglican Church because of you, Bishop Leonard. Because you were the first person who treated me as a person with dignity rather than a role to be used. And that was Graham Leonard's greatest achievement, he said. Christian, be encouraged. Your little gospel living and your little gospel telling it is potent. It is potent. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. <laughs> Once again, we ask it to have effect, to challenge us to deliberately listen, to know that it is what transforms us. So, Lord, give us ears to hear. Lord, give us courage to live out knowing that your word is powerful, it is potent. We give you all the praise. In Christ's name, amen.